0: so that he's fine we're good I love little kids I love I I actually believe that when kids are in church and they're screaming they're messing up that God pulls the angels and says this is what I always meant so we are always good and we love um the families and the kids but I'm excited that you're here this morning if you haven't been here for uh, the last couple weeks we have been going through a series called who's your one um the idea is that um I I don't want you to think about the thousands and thousands and the millions and millions. I gave you statistics the last few weeks. Um, 75 million people visited Orlando in the Central Florida area over this last year, more than any other place. Um, I just found out this past week that in the next 10 years, 30,000 people are moving into within five miles of this church. Um, We already have 30,000 people within three miles of this church. There's 100,000 people within 10 miles of this church. Um, And so that's just, those are just overwhelming numbers and overwhelming things like how can we make a difference in that and what we've been challenging each other with is start with one that who's your one I believe God places us in a community in a job in a neighborhood for the purpose that there's someone there that needs to see Jesus and that's what we're called to do and so we're going to continue and we're going to go through this uh, and finish this up this week Um, but it doesn't end this week I hope that in this series you're like, okay, well, okay, I had a one, I prayed for one, maybe I talked to one. If you found your one, you're working with them, you're talking to them, you're praying for them, then find another one and keep going. But just let's do it one at a time. But this morning what we're going to talk about is this idea of um, it's a wonderful life. If we're going to be able to switch. I love it. Of course it worked before service. There we go. Yeah, you may have to do that. I'm going to see if I can flip back and forth. But it's a wonderful life, and I believe that's the life God has planned for us. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 1. If you don't have Bibles, we have them spread out everywhere. If you would rather use your electronic device, you can sign into our Wi-Fi, GBC guest. Just type in FIND MORE, all lower caps, and you can follow along. But as I said in the very beginning, um, what we believe in this church, this, these are the only words that matter this morning. They really are. My words don't make any difference. My words don't change any lives. It's these words that do everything. It's the only authority that I have to speak. It's the only authority we have to meet. So out of respect for that (coughs) and out of acknowledgement of that, I'm going to ask if you'll just stand with me as we read in John chapter 1, starting at verse 40. It says this, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Will you pray with me? God, I just thank you for this morning. Father, I thank you for um, all that you have brought us to, all that um, you are doing in our lives and in this church, God. And I pray this morning right now that whatever's going on, vacation plans, uh, summer plans, figuring out what to do with the kids, all the things, God, that you would just quiet our hearts You would quiet our minds so that, God, the only voice we hear is yours this morning. Father, I pray these are your words, not mine. God, that you will take this message, that you will use it, God, to transform lives. God, meet us where we're at, Father, but move us from there. God, I pray we would be changed because we're here. Every time, Father, we come into your presence, we should be different. And so, God, change us embolden us whatever needs to happen let it happen this morning i pray for ears to hear for hearts to respond and the courage to live it outside these walls god in me everything that is said everything that is done god may you get the credit for not me and may you get all the glory we pray it all in jesus name amen you may be seated so this morning i want to talk to you about a guy named andrew um out of all the disciples, um, Andrew is probably the least kind of known. We don't know an awful lot about him. Um, we don't know an awful lot about like his life and his ministry and everything. He was always kind of in the background. And so I want to I talk to you a little about that. Um, he's only mentioned nine times in the New Testament, Andrew is. And most of the time it's only in passing or it's as Peter's brother. You ever been in the shadow of someone else, like your bigger brother or something, where like they were just like the huge superstar and all this other stuff, and then there there was you. That was Andrew. And, and John tells the story of meeting him meeting with Jesus. So turn back just a page to um, verse thirty-five. And John and Andrew were actually disciples of John the Baptist. Like, they went and hung out with John the Baptist. They heard him preach. They saw him. Um, they, were, they were being taught by him. And it says in verse 35, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God, the one I've been talking about all this time, that's him. And verse 37 says, the two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. And when Jesus turned and noticed them following, he asked, what are you looking for? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Verse 39 says, Come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. And so you get this picture that actually Andrew and John are actually the first disciples to follow Jesus. They had been trained up and and all this stuff, um, but... um. We don't really hear a lot about Andrew, like I said. We, we don't hear an awful lot about his life and, and his ministry and everything. In fact, um, Andrew has been t- called the one who touched one who touched thousands. Because think about it. The passage we read in the beginning, who did he ask? He said, hey, Peter, bro, Simon, you got to come meet Jesus. And if you've been around church at all, you know who Peter is. Peter's the guy that preached at Pentecost. Peter's the guy that did all this stuff. But Andrew is the one that brought him. I would consider Andrew the inviter. He was the bringer. He was even the introducer. He's the one that introduced Peter and these people. to Jesus. He, he saw all this stuff going on, and he was okay with staying in the background. And so I think a lot of time when we've been talking about us sharing the faith and, and you sharing and finding that one and stuff, I think a lot of people in church feel insignificant and like, well, I really can't do much. This morning, I want to challenge that thought process. That I believe it's the inviters, the bringers, the introducers that change the world. Not necessarily the preachers that are staying on some platform. So, so let's look at Andrew and some of the things that he saw. Are we going to do it? There we go. So Andrew, Very first of all, he saw the value of individual people. It wasn't always about the big crowds. It wasn't always about the Big Bang. It was about the individual people that he saw. Every time we see him, he is bringing someone to Jesus. It was about bringing individuals, not crowds. Now, now I'm not saying that crowd evangelism and, and Billy Graham and these and crusades, they're not important. And God doesn't use all those things. But I'm saying I believe, especially in today's culture, it is that one-on-one relationship that's going to make all the difference. It's those individuals that we speak into. It's those individuals that we start praying for. And, and that's what we see Andrew as. We don't ever hear about him standing up and preaching in front of thousands of people. We just see him bringing people. First he brought Peter. And introduced Peter. Later on in the gospels. We find out that he's the guy that brings the boy for lunch. That Jesus ended up feeding 5,000 people. 5,000 men. So it's probably about 10,000 people. So this idea that there's value in the individual people. Andrew was also the first missionary. Probably the first home missionary. that That the church had. In, in fact... In John 12, verse 20 and 22, it says, Now some Greeks were among those who went up to worship at the festival. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and requested of him, Sir, we want to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Who brought him to Jesus? It, it is the power of being able to see the individual. It is the power of not knowing. Like I can't. Maybe I'm not this big, great speaker. Or I'm, I'm not. I don't sing well, or I don't speak well, or I'm not dynamic and all this stuff. And we make all these excuses all the time, where God is just looking for people that will be obedient and say, "I'm willing just to find that one." See, because most come through individual influence. Most people come through that idea that one person invested in them. And then they invested in another, and then they invested in another. And who knows what God will do with that. When we make excuses, we may be missing out. Now, listen, I'm not going to get in a theological discussion about God's sovereignty. But could you imagine what would happen if Andrew never introduced, introduced Peter? I think the church would look really different today. I think Christianity would look really different today. And I believe God is sovereign and God's got a plan and nothing can thwart his plan. But I think he has included us to be a part of that plan. And when we start making these excuses that, well, I can't do this. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I haven't been trained. I haven't gone to seminary or cemetery. I haven't gone to, I haven't gone to Bible college. I mean, I don't even know any Greek words. You know, I I just know, I know falafel. Okay. That's the only Greek I know. So I can't understand. We make all these excuses, but it is about the individual influence that makes all the difference. It is about the one, guys. If you don't hear anything else that I've said over the last five weeks, it is about that one that can make all the difference. You guys know who Dwight L. Moody is? Dwight L. Moody is one of my heroes. Dwight L. Moody was a a magnificent preacher. Um, most of the time they looked at him and made fun of him and says, you don't use proper English, you're not really any good. And Dwight L. Moody just says, listen, I'll keep saving people the way, I'll keep sharing the gospel the way I feel like I need to share the gospel because you're not sharing it at all, <laughs> is what he would tell people. But we, know, we all know Dwight L. Moody, but do you know Edward Kimball? Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher in Chicago. That Dwight L. Moody was put on his heart and he went to the shoe store where Dwight L. Moody was working as an 18-year-old boy. Mustered all the courage. Said, God, if there are other people there, I can't tell them. Found Dwight in the back of a stockroom and shared Jesus with him. And Moody Moody caught it. And he started things like the Moody Institute. But not only that, I mean, it goes on to, it goes on to other crazy stuff. Moody led a guy named J. Wilbur Chapman. To Christ, who became a crusader, he became like a preacher and everything. And, and J. Wilbur Chapman led a guy named Billy Sunday to Christ, and Billy Sunday started working with J. Wilbur Chapman and started preaching and all stuff. And, and while one Sunday, when Billy Sunday was leading some kind of um, revival meeting, a guy named Mordecai Ham came to know Christ and started working with, 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 with um, Billy Sunday and, and everything grew. And guess what happened with Mordecai Ham? He was speaking one day and there was a young man named Billy Graham sitting in the audience that accepted Christ and accepted Christ from Mordecai Ham. Now, I trust God's sovereignty, but what would have happened if Edward Kimball said no? It is the individual... I mean that just gives me chills when I when I look at I've looked at all kinds of stuff CT Studd met Christ through Moody great theologian great missionary I mean all these people that I read now just saying man these guys were awesome because someone saw the saw the value of an individual person See, let me, I just want to take that pressure off of you. It is not your job to save the world. You can't. Jesus can. All you have to do, all I have to do is be obedient with that one. And who knows what God will do with that? You see, I just went through that, that lineage. It's like ripples in a lake. You ever when a kid threw like a rock in a lake and watched the ripples? Kind of happen? It starts with one rock, doesn't it? And then those ripples eventually will reach the entire bank. That's what we're talking about. Listen, God knows how many people are moving into this area. God knows every name, every person that's going to be living here already. He already knows all that. And I believe, all my heart, He has placed us here as a church at this time for that. So that we can say, God, who's our one? Who's that one person in my neighborhood? Who's that one person in my office? Who's that one person? You know, we made that. You stood up a few weeks ago and we talked about that challenge. Who's going to be one invite? One person I'm going to invite into my house. And have dinner with them and tell them my testimony. One person I'm going to go have coffee with. One person I'm going to invite to church. Just one, just one, just one. Who knows what God will do with that if we are just obedient enough to say, I'll be an inviter. I'll be a bringer. Man, I'll even be an introducer. Do you imagine what would happen to this community and every community across the world if the church started seeing that? If every follower of Christ actually acted like a follower of Christ and said, I want to make disciples. Man, it would be insane for that. But not only did he see the value of individual people, man a- Andrew saw the value of insignificant gifts. He 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 saw the value of small things. I, I think sometimes we get the idea like, well, I can't give a lot and I can't do a lot and 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 so you know, what am I, what am I going to do? But, but the problem is, is, we, we look at these gifts, we look at this stuff, and we say that, well, God, this is all I have, and God's saying, well, I'm, it's more than enough. We, we look at the size of the gift instead of the greatness of our God for that. In fact, that's what Andrew did, we mentioned it earlier, in, in John, um, John 6, 8 through 9, it says, one of his disciples, Andrew, there were, <coughs> let me set this up, you know the story, there were 5,000 men. I'm sorry, ladies, we didn't count women back then. Um, You're allowed to vote now. Okay, it's all good. We're working on equality and all that stuff. And by the way, Jesus, anyone that says, like, well, the church is against women's rights, who was the first people that knew that Jesus rose again? Was a woman? Was women? We we were all created. We're all important. But there's 5,000 men, so there's probably about 12,000 people over here. And Jesus looks at disciples and says, the disciples are like, send them away. they got to eat. And he's like, you feed them. <laughs> and they're like, we don't have enough money. We can't do this. I love that. I love always that Jesus' leadership style was like, hey, then go do it. That's my style. So when you come up to me and say, Pastor, I've got a great idea for a ministry that we need to be doing, I'm going to be like, go do it. <laughs> You're going to be great at it. I'll help you. They didn't get it at then. And so there's all these people waiting to eat, and they're hot, and they're hungry, and there could be a riot. And in John 6, 8 through 9, here's Andrew again. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, Well, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves, two fish, but what are they for so many? I know, Lord, this, it's not much. This is all we have, but maybe you can do something with it. Maybe, maybe you can make a difference. With with this little tiny bit. He saw the value of small things. He saw the value of things that we think are insignificant. So I understand people say, Well, I don't have I don't have enough time to give. I don't have enough money to give. I don't have enough resources or, or talents to give. You have something to give. Because again, it's not the greatness of the gift, it's the greatness of God that matters. God can take anything and everything. This is the God that literally spoke the stars and the planet into existence. Do you know that? In fact, Jesus pushes. Turn over to Luke 21. Jesus made a point of this in Luke 21. Starting at verse 1, he says, He looked up and saw the rich dropping their offerings into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow dropping into two tiny coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For all these people have put in gifts out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty has, poverty has put in all she had to live on. not that a beautiful picture? Even Jesus says, it's not the amount. Listen, this is not a tithing sermon. I'm just saying what you have to give, God can use to change the world. Moses said, I have a stutter. I can't speak. He's like, all right, here's your brother Aaron. Everyone that's made an excuse, God can go over those excuses and give you an answer to what is. So there are no excuses for us not to find the one. There are no excuses for us not to share the gospel. There are no excuses for us not to live the obedient life because it's not what we do. It's what God does. He gets the credit. That has been my prayer for four and a half years for this church, God. I don't want anything to happen in this church in a way that people are going to say, Tony, nice job. Man, you did a great job. I want it to happen in such a way that you're the only one that can get credit for it. That's how I live my life. My wife gets annoyed at me. She's like, stop praying some of those prayers because it's crazy right now. I'm like, I understand. But it is God that does it all. And whatever you have to give. Whatever you have to offer, God can take it and multiply it to what he needs it to be. Whether it's money, whether it's time, whether it's talent, whatever it is. I think all that is on the table. This is one of the reasons we don't pass a plate, because I don't want people to feel obligated. I want them to feel called. Listen, can I tell you something? I do not feel obligated to be your pastor. At all. I feel called to be the pastor. I feel called to work forty hours a week at Universal Studios and then come here and and do this. I love this. It's a and I trust God for all the other stuff. And I look at God and I it's the same way. I look at God and say, God, I've only had this much time and I've only got this much resources i've only got this much god but whatever it takes whatever it is you just take it and you use it i'm going to just trust you for the outcome church we need to start trusting god for the outcome and then just keep moving forward there are too many churches making excuses we don't have a big enough building we don't have enough staff we don't have a big enough budget none of that matters it is not the greatness of the gift it is the greatness of our god It is his plan, and nothing, nothing is going to thwart his plan. Mm -hmm. You understand that? We're on the winning side. We've actually already won. Our enemies, they kind of know it. They're fighting it, but they know they've lost. We've already won. It doesn't matter what some legislation does. It doesn't matter what some high court does or some political party does. It doesn't matter. God's will will happen. And we get the choice of being part of it or against it. Those are the only two choices, y'all. Either we are part of the solution, we are part of that, or we are part of the problem. And so we need to get rid of the excuses. There's nothing insignificant that we can give God. At all. Ever. When it's done with the right heart. The last thing is... um, he saw the value of inconspicuous service. Maybe. There it is. Man, I remember. My issue is pride is I deal with it all the time. And I think I was, I was raised a good southern boy. And, and, and I was raised by West Virginia Hillbilly and all this stuff. And it was all about me pulling myself up by my bootstraps and stuff. My dad was that generation, was part of the greatest generation, passed away about 10 years ago and everything. And, and so I was thought growing up that it was about being up in front, that those are the people that God really liked, you know, that those were the people that were really important in the kingdom of God. And so honestly, when I started in ministry, that was that was the goal. I remember the first time I talked to kids, Hinesville, Georgia. I was at Fort Stewart in the Army. We everywhere we went in the military, I ended up being the youth pastor in that town. Some they, someone needed a youth pastor. So there's my wife, there's me, there's a group of friends. We're young, we're dumb, we're stupid, and I'm I'm just, man, I'm like, I get to speak for the first time. I'm preaching my heart out, and it was it was awesome, and it was great. And I remember just sitting there at the end of it going, how was that, guys? And a kid in the back says, you stink. I'm like, hmm. Lord, I feel called to children's ministry now because I scare them. Um, high school students, not necessarily. I learned how to scare high school students very quickly. But I mean, the point is, it wasn't about being upfront because I remember when the pastor came over and I was like, man, I thought I did a good job. I thought maybe I set there and he's like, it's not about you. Did you preach God's word? Did you tell him the truth? That's all that matters. You know, I, I ask when I meet with pastors and I meet with like people going into ministry, I always ask them a the question. Whose kingdom do you want to build your kingdom or God's kingdom? Because if you want to build your kingdom, I can't work with you. Because your kingdom's going to go away. God's kingdom's going to last forever. That—that's people. That's why I don't care the name of the church. I don't—I don't care who's the pastor here. I care that God's kingdom grows. That—that's what I want to see. That—that's part. Of, and I think Andrew understood that it wasn't about speaking to three thousand people at Pentecost. It, it wasn't about um, doing all that stuff. You know, in fact. Andrew is a picture of laboring in a quiet, humble places. Like I said, he's only mentioned nine times. He's he's part of the inner circle. By the way, Andrew was part of that inner circle that when Jesus went up and his full glory came down there on the mountain transfiguration, they all see that like, oh, my goodness, and Moses and Elijah show up. Andrew was part of that. And yet we don't hear about it. And so Andrew was OK being in back. Can I tell you, there are people in this church that I just love desperately because they come in here and they set up chairs or they clean the bathroom or they teach for me on a Sunday night or they do things that I'm like, man, that just frees me up to do. I said, there are people that that just show up and do things without even thinking. And those are my heroes. Because that testimony is huge to me. It is a blessing to me and it is a blessing to everyone that goes by. See, the truth is, if you want to be a leader, you've got to be a servant. That was Jesus' message. That was Jesus' motto. Leader with a servant's heart. That, that was Andrew. He was willing, like, hey, what you want to see Jesus? Here, I'll take you to him. Peter, man, we found Messiah. You need to come see this. Hey, we got a couple of loaves of bread. We got a couple of things. Yeah, it was a servant's heart. And truly, we've gotten it so wrong in our leadership models today. And I know there's so many books about being a servant leader, being a servant leader. The world doesn't have any idea what it means to be a servant leader. If not, I guarantee you the CEOs of all our theme parks wouldn't be making so much money while their people are starving to death. It was okay to be behind the scenes. Mr. Kimball believed so. And look what God did with that. It's, it's, it's not about what we do. In fact, in Ephesians 6, 6, Paul writes this. He says, don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, do God's will from your heart. And I know a ton of people, man, they got church down. I was, I was an expert, by the way. In high school growing up, I was the perfect church kid. I knew when to raise my hand. I knew when to sit, when to stand, when to pray, when to look sad and solemn, and when to smile. I had it down to perfect, and it was all a game to me. As long as everybody saw me, they knew, like, oh, he's such a good boy. You know what integrity is? Integrity is doing the right thing when nobody's looking. And we are called to a life of integrity as followers of Christ. And so if the only time you worship God And you sing to him and you open his word. It's on a Sunday morning. Can I tell you something? You are not following the same Jesus I am. And we need to talk. It is about serving him when nobody's watching. When the only one that gets credit is God. Because in the end, he's the only one that deserves credit. Do you know of anybody else on this planet in all of history that is worthy of glory? Other than God. It has been a trend the last few years of all of the heroes of kind of our country and stuff and, and forefathers of us finding out the horrible things they did in their life. And people are like, oh, we've got to tear down their statues and everything. I think that's ridiculous because we're all flawed. We live in a broken world. We're broken people and all this stuff. But we're all flawed. There's only one, one being in the entire universe that's not flawed. God. That's the only one worth due glory. And so we work that way. We work and we do that. See, I think that's a wonderful life. I think that's the life God has called us to. We have talked for four and a half years. Go ahead. Thank you. We have talked for four and a half years about we founded this church. We started this church with a few people in my living room to this building, to wherever God takes us next and whatever's going on with the idea that I believe God wants more. God wants more for us. God wants more from us. That just the status quo is not what God wants to us. Just showing up and singing some songs and reading our Bible, <coughs> saying amen now and then, and then going out and doing whatever we want. God wants more. He requires more. He demands more of us, and yet he wants to give us more of us, more of him to us. I've learned and I believe with all my heart the greatest discipleship program that we can ever offer in the church is training you and encouraging you to share the gospel. I think when you can vocalize your faith to someone else and you have the courage then you are a true follower of Jesus that you are a disciple you're becoming just like him. I, don't think we need, I think we need classes about church history and apologetics and, and all those things and doctrine. And we need to understand what we believe and why we believe it. But the truth is, is, if we can't vocalize that, if we can't take it out of these walls, then we're not the church. That's the wonderful life. And Andrew was the guy that said, it doesn't matter if I get all the praise and glory. I'm going to go out here and I'm just going to live it to the fullness of what I can. I'm going to find my one and I'm going to invite and I'm going to and I'm going to introduce them and I'm going to bring them. That's all we're called to do. Tradition has it that Andrew ended up taking the gospel to Russia north. At The end of his life, the tradition says that he was crucified in Acacia, which is in southern Greece for leading the Roman governor's wife to Jesus. Basically, Andrew shared Jesus with the Roman governor's wife in Acacia. The governor said, you need to recant that. And she said, I can't. And so in punishment, they crucified Andrew. And if you look up in Fox's Book of Martyrs and all that stuff, and it'll tell the traditional story, it was basically a crucifixion on an X. Instead of a cross, it was kind of an X. And he was tied there instead of nailed there. So that over days, he would, he would just die. He spent three, four days in that position and just died very slowly and painfully. And yet tradition still says that every moment that he was there, he proclaimed Jesus to everyone that passed by. It's, it's not about our glory. It's not about the glory of this church. It's, it's not why we've done this series. of And we can build a big church and have lots of stuff. Who's your one? Finding that one is about God's kingdom. and There's one person out there that if we don't tell them, if we don't share with them, they're going to live a life without God and an eternity without God. Visitors, you chose a good week because two weeks ago we spoke on hell and we had a whole family come in. I'm like, great week to come in because I'm preaching on hell. Welcome. (laughs) hell's a reality. It was never meant for us. answer to all of it if we will just go share first corinthians one twenty seven. this has been come my life verse ever since we started this church it said instead god has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise and god has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong god has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world what is viewed as nothing to bring nothing what is viewed as something so that no one may boast in his presence My heart, my belief, is that I am the foolish thing that God has chosen to be the pastor of this church, and I'm okay with that. Because it's not about me. It's about God's glory. I have nothing to boast for. Nothing has happened in the last four and a half years. Nothing that's going to happen in the next four and a half years. It is all what God does. No one comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. No one comes to the Son unless the Father draws him. It is God's job. All we have to do is be obedient and say, who's my one? Who's that one person I can say, this is what God has done for me? Listen. People are going to be able to argue with you about history, about the authenticity of the Bible and all that stuff. There's one thing they are never, ever going to be arguing about you. What has Christ done in your life? You bring the smartest atheist here, bring it here. And nobody on this planet is going to change my mind about who Jesus is because I know what he's done for me. And that's what I share. And I'm not a pastor that sits at a desk and says, go and tell the gospel. I'm a pastor that has decided that no matter how big this church gets, I'm going to stay working at Universal because I love it. I love they know me as Tony, the pastor. I had a guy cussed like nine times in front of me yesterday and came up like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm like, I was in the army for seven years. You haven't said a word I've never heard. Okay, right. Let's talk about it. Why are you doing that? I had a guy the other night that looked at me and says, Tony, do you think I'm going to hell? Like I don't know. Do you know Jesus? <laughs> See, because I don't make that decision. You do. So I'm in it with you. And I know it's scary, and I know it's uncomfortable, and you're worried about backlash. And all. but our God is greater. The one is worth it. Who's your one? Who's the one? God has put on your heart the last five weeks that you've been praying for. We got to hear last week. We had, instead of a sermon, we did kind of testimonies and just talk about people that have invested in us or someone we started to invest in last week. Just sitting in a circle, waiting for the hot dogs to cook. Thank you, by the way. You did a good job. That's what this is about. That's being the church when we go and do that. Hudson Taylor, one of my favorite missionaries of all time, says this. God isn't looking for people of great faith, but for individuals ready to follow him. That's it. No qualifications, just, Lord, I want to follow you. And I want to tell everybody you put in my path about you. That's what this is about, y'all. That's what this has always been about. And I will probably spend the rest of my life in every sermon. We will tie back into there. Who are you telling? Who are you telling? Who are you sharing with? Because that's how the kingdom grows one at a time. One at a time. Go ahead and kill it again. I don't think I have any control today. So my question one last time is who's your one? Whether you're here on vacation, whether you live here, you're a regular tender, you're just visiting, I promise you there is one. There's one person you can think of that's on your heart that you can start praying for. God, I just want to take them to coffee. Give me an opportunity to take them to coffee. Give me an opportunity to invite them into my home and have a meal with them. Let them hear the gospel. Give me an opportunity to invite them and bring them to church with me. Who's your one? Because that's how we're going to change this community. That's how this world's going to be changed. It's the gospel that changes all. Isn't that good news? It's not us. It's not some governmental program. It's not some new building project or new something coming in. It is the gospel that will change everything. And we have that. Who's your one?